Welcome to the Dear Doc Podcast, where we will discuss the business of running a dental practice with a panel of experts. Now, your host, Dr. Christopher Hoffpower. Hey guys, this is Doc Huffpower. I'm coming to you again from my studio here in Alvin, Texas. And today I'm going to be talking with Ruben Camp again from Dark Horse Computers. Now, Dark Horse is a great place for you guys to go if you need any kind of computer help or any kind of computer service. They're really, truly full service from cradle to grave, so to speak. Um, and we're actually going to talk about some cradle to grave today, or at least some lifetime support for Windows 7. So, Ruben, take it away. You've been on the business of dentistry we made this big announcement a few days ago and uh, you have been looking for any um, any interesting post anything that you can help with to help our viewers to um, be a little bit safer since you're here to talk about HIPAA concerns and and, and and computers in the dental office so talk to us a little bit about the first one that you you pulled up you uh, you were you were going through you said doc we have to talk about this one so <laughs> talk to us about that well uh, the first one's about backups and We'll get into backups. I just want to give everyone up an update on what has happened uh, this week in kind of the world of dentistry where our industry made CNN and ZDNet and all these, yes. uh, you know, security website feeds. Uh, Dental got a, uh, a spotlight shined on it this week, not in a, in a great sense. And for, and for once, it wasn't because some dentist did something stupid and, uh, and is being flamed on, on media. It's it actually was something bad that happened to a dental office. So let's right. talk, let's talk about that. Yeah. No animals were harmed uh, during this, this week. Um, so <laughs> on, <laughs> on Monday, uh, as many of you know now, cause this has kind of been widely circulated and I mentioned CNN right. picked it up uh, a company out of Wisconsin who is housed in the actually Wisconsin dental association building uh, was hacked. And th this company had approximately, I say had because who knows what's going to happen afterwards, um, 500 clients in the, in the dental, their dental specific. 400 of those reported to have been encrypted with ransomware. And this was on Monday. Uh, as of Friday, well, about 120 of them were back online. So leaving the vast majority of them still without. Uh, oh my God, I can't imagine. Take x-rays. See anything? Um, uh, the we're we're so dependent on tech these days, and I think a lot of people don't realize that that's the real disaster now. You know, your your tech goes out, you're done. You know? right? Crazy. Yeah, we put, people put a lot of trust in companies like us, right, to to handle this properly. Chris, you know, you're a very busy guy. You're seeing patients and recording podcasts with me. Uh, you know, and playing guitar and doing all this stuff these are things like HR and payroll. You're like, all right, I hired somebody competent and that's delegated and on exactly. to the next fire. Um, so again, we had a lot of offices trusting this company and they got hacked themselves and because they did not have, you know, that you go on the website, uh, I'm sure you guys can figure out what the company's name is. Um, mm. But if you go on the website, you'll see HIPAA this, HIPAA that, we're secure, all that stuff. The reason this happened is because they were not, right? So two-factor authentication, something very simple we all use for our banks and you know, even we've turned on for things even less secure than that. Um, right. They didn't have two-factor authentication turned on, right? So 
they got hacked because they used the password dental123, all lowercase. Uh, they got access to every oh. single... <laughs> now, okay, so we're, we're laughing about that. The space in, ball? The space in, ball? <laughs> in, in, I know, right? <laughs> You're as big of a nerd as I am. Okay, so we're laughing about that, but there have been some, there, there's been some real research um, on very complex passwords. And um, what it has shown is that things like your pet's name are now actually more secure than capital W, lowercase z, exclamation point, hashtag, mama needs a new pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. Because the programs now are actually created specifically to break those types of thought processes in your, in, in your password. So it's actually kind of been a backslide, but dental one, two, three, I'm thinking is probably one that could be relatively easily guessed, you know? <laughs> yes. I mean, you could probably break that in a matter of seconds, honestly. Oh yeah. Brute force, man. Brute, brute force hacking easily. Right. Right. And when you log into something, this is how hackers are thinking. When you log into a website and you type in your username and your password and it says incorrect password, the site has just given them information. They, right. they know the username is accurate and now they just need to right. brute force the password. If it says invalid credentials, it's very vague. They don't even know if they have the right password at that point. So they're thinking down to the level of, okay, I have this information. It, uh, I've eliminated that from right. the problem set. Now I'm just worrying about the password. And, you know, um, this is a, a major catastrophe um, and not a great light to be shined on the IT industry because there's a lot of people that say, right. like I said, we're secure. You guys are getting yours right. now. We have to right. deal with this all the time, Ruben. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. I have, you know, it's Google Authenticator with a list of all my codes, right? And it's just an endless list of two-factor authentication. But you can't get into our system without my face <laughs> and this code that expires in five seconds. Like, right. uh it, it is some, it's unfortunate because that is the simplest thing you can do. You set it up once, it's done. But if you don't set it up, you know, you're saying that you don't care. Yeah. I, um, you, you made a comment off the air and uh, I thought it was just, it was, it was gold. Hey, hackers out there, don't worry about hacking dental offices. Hack Ruben because he has access to how many dental offices? We currently support 450 dental. Uh, it's 5,500 endpoints. So that's how many workstations and servers we have total. So right. again, if you're able to, we're a target because of this. If you're able to penetrate our systems, just like what happened in Wisconsin, you now have access to everybody. Ooh, unforeseen consequences. You guys have BAAs, which means you are subject to HIPAA fines. And that's $10,000 per incident. Oh my goodness. That's it is. So that I mean never coming back from this. When you work with an IT company and they're like, well, you know, you can do your backup, but we'll do the antivirus, like run for I mean, run for the hills. Yeah. Right. If they're if they're not coming in and, and like like our offering, it's like this is what is mandatory to be a customer. And right. if they say no, we walk away. We're willing to do that because I don't want to risk me and twenty-five employees. <laughs> I don't want to risk their jobs Absolutely. Uh, because of one client who doesn't want to do a backup. That doesn't make any sense. So real quick, um, that, that brings us pretty naturally to another thing that we had spoken about, which is the things that dentists can do. Um, I know you have a whole list over there of the things we we're going to talk about, but 
So there's a lot of dentists out there and they feel pretty confident doing their own stuff and, and more power to them. I don't have that kind of time. That's why I got you guys. So what can a dentist do on their own? What are the standards that you would tell them to set for themselves so that they can, they, they can take care of their own stuff? I mean, I know one of the big infamous things is they do backups, but they never check the validity of the backup. So they don't know if the backup's working. Right. Um, how long should they wait for updates that come in for their computer, you know, and which updates really are critical to be run. I notice sometimes you guys will not run an update and you're like, don't run this. And then I'll come back later and you've taken care of it. But I suspect it's because you're trying to figure out whether or not it's going to crash a bunch of people's systems or what problems it's going to cause before loading it. So you don't, right. I don't have to pay you to fix things. So That's talk right. to us a little bit about what doctors can do on their own and what, little things like that, that they should expect if they are using someone and that that's not a sign that something's not going right. That's a sign that your IT department is actually doing their job. So right. Talk to us about that. Yeah. So let's start with the self-managed uh, side. There's you know, a lot of people out there that run let's say, a smaller practice. It's, it's a lot easier to do. You know, if you have three computers, you don't even have a server. One of them is just called the server. It's a workstation. Right. So we'll start with the uh, updates. So, updates, if you look at what the uh, laws in HIPAA say, and you look at what cyber liability insurance requirements are, you have 48 to 72 hours to patch something, right? Unless you make a reason, you document it. I know there are some of you out there that are not going to replace your, your panoramic x-ray machine. They're not making a Windows 10 driver. So you're going to keep that Windows 7 computer in your office and just, you know, obviously I can't tell you to spend 30 grand on a new pan. Virtualize! Virtualize! <laughs> What I, what I can say is make it the, the, the difference between negligence and gross negligence, right? And, and having something that's actually documented is you have to document it. So if you're going to be in that situation to make a justification for why you're doing this, there's and a security hole. Basically right. write it up and store it somewhere, not on your computer that is going to go down and is going to cause you all the problems. Right. Right. Maybe on, on the cloud even, you know, that's not exactly protected information. Right. So that same update window applies to your antivirus software. It applies to your firewall. Anything that receives updates, right? Updates are inherently released because there's a security flaw or bug reported in the system. Right. And that's why Windows 7 is going to be such a huge problem because we have the exact same version of Windows that is going to be essentially frozen January right. 14th of 2020 giving hackers an unlimited amount of time to find a flaw and we're in healthcare. So we have to live to a higher standard. All right. Fantastic. So, um, next question. You've actually, um, you've actually pulled a couple more of these, um, of, of these posts. So what was the next one you wanted to cover? Um, I know backups was one. Yeah, backups was a popular one. You know, we talk about ransomware, which can tie into backups. I know there's a lot of posts on the business of dentistry about getting hacked and locked and all that stuff. So very let's, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and hit that subject today. All right. So the backup is the first response of that ransomware attack. So we can tie these two things together. So you know, this is what's going on in Wisconsin and in Minnesota too this week. Um, ransomware is, is this is a, not a new phenomenon. This right. week. this is the number and it's not one going thing. anywhere not going anywhere. They're just getting, uh, there's really no answer for this specific strain once it's on your system besides a backup, right? Cause, right. um, if you have a firewall and antivirus, those are preventative measures. The really quick firewall is your external protection. That's your missile defense system. 
You know, that's why we have that base in Kauai pointed at North Korea, <laughs> waiting to shoot those missiles down if they come this way. Uh, antivirus is your internal protection. So that means that the robber's are already in the house, and that is your uh, Rottweiler uh, heading, heading after it. So um, I was going to go with sawed-off shotgun, but, you know, hey. <laughs> I got three dogs. Come on <laughs> in my house. Uh, right. <clears throat> so uh, the backup system, why it is so important, is because if something gets – even from a fire and flood, like we're helping a, a doctor pick it right now um, who had his building flooded and we have an offsite backup. And that offsite backup is very important because fire, flood, theft, we need to have the data somewhere else than right. directly in the building. So um, HIPAA states, we need a local backup, we need an offsite backup, and we need to test and make sure the backups are working. Honestly, that's the most important piece because you can, right. you can run a program uh, if you don't actually open it and test it, you don't really know if it's working or not. So uh, that's why we've moved to a model that has that completely automated inside of it. So mm -hmm. it actually takes each of those backups, boots them up into Windows, tests them, and then shoves them back down. Uh, same system we have in your office, Chris. Right. And uh, so, again... We can kind of get into the DIY piece. There are some good, uh, I don't know if this is, you know, worth your time if you're a busy practice, but if you do have some downtime, this is something that you could do. Or if you're just interested in IT, you know, you could do this. So I recommend backing up at least once a day. We do once an hour uh, because as we've shown, the, uh, the less data we can tell the doctor uh, he is susceptible of losing, the happier he is. So right. we decided that one hour was a good balance and, that and did not slow the system down. When you do it correctly, it doesn't slow the system down. That's exactly what I was going to say. I never even notice because, and you know, you, you know my office. You know, we've got like, I don't know, 20 <laughs> computers or some shit like that in my practice. <laughs> Crazy. So, um, I don't know. How many is it? It's less, I, than, it's less than 20. It's less than 20. I think you're about 17, 18. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't put my laptops on it. I, I probably should actually. Um, and um, that new lady who's going to be working remote, you're going to be adding hers onto my system too. That's right. Yeah. That's a nice computer. Yep. 20. <laughs> well, anyway. Sorry. So yeah, this yeah, is so the backup. I was working around with Ruben because, um, well, for, for, just honestly, he's a fun guy, and um, I speak nerds, so he's the only person I can tell my stupid IT jokes to. So. <laughs> Is there anyway. a Facebook group for IT nerd dentists? <laughs> 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 Just you. We should, we should start one. We should start one. <laughs> the question is to get in. <laughs> True or false, so. U.S. robotics modems could be changed from 2,400 to 5,600 baud by flipping a switch. Yeah, that's a test. <laughs> So yeah, so uh, to put a bow on backups, right? That's your last line of defense, right? If you're talking backups, you're already down, right? So now we're talking about recovering as fast as possible. Uh, so to give you guys a couple recommendations, if you want to self-manage, there's a program called uh, by storage craft called shadow protect that can do full and incremental and backups. It is a manual program ours is an automated program, but uh, that is, if you want to do it yourself, you can buy that program and you can test it out. I mean, that's really the only recommendation I have that, uh, for a system that can uh, backup and recover quickly. Everything else is going to be like, 
uh, a crash plan, which only sends a file and folder, which means you have to manually restore. Like if you have Dentrix, you have to install a blank copy of Dentrix, transfer the database over, reattach it. Anyway, it's a disaster. Um, <laughs> don't do that. Dentrix a disaster in the same sentence. Who's ever heard that before? <laughs> I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you about that thing we talked about off air later too. All right. Uh, now let, let's flip over to, we have, uh, sh should I mention the people's names who asked the question? Yeah, Does why not? Why not? Okay. Emily Cooper Hortman, uh, was talking about a 3d pan that she just integrated into her office and she was being told that she needed to upgrade all of her computers. Oh, absolutely. Um, She's going to need graphics card for everyone. She wants <laughs> to actually see a CBCT image on. That's correct. That's correct. So, you know, existing practices, you guys have a little more revenue than startup practices. So, you know, you might choose to upgrade more, you know, for in the startup realm, we, you get the acquisition computer that can manipulate those images off the bat. Right. Maybe we do the console room and then we leave kind of all the other computers up. Now, I, I think, I think for me, my checkout computer, my check-in computer and my lab computer don't have anything on it. That's just, they don't need it. Um, but I think every other computer in the office, I, I can actually view CBCTs on. Right. I don't know. Sometimes yeah. something goes buggy and I call you and you fix it. But. <laughs> well, yeah, Botech's still getting their, uh, the software figured out. It's, uh, the, the machines are beautiful. Uh, that, that's, uh, it's a good system. But Absolutely. you don't have to upgrade every single computer, just the ones that, you know, this is like the, uh, you know. You don't have to floss all your teeth, only the ones you want to keep. It's kind of the same thing here. You don't have to upgrade all your computers, but if you want to use them with the CBCT, yeah. you got to upgrade. Now, there yeah. is, a, if I'm not mistaken, there is one workaround, um, and that is they could run it on a resident computer, and they could view it remotely by doing a remote desktop to that first computer. But guys, come on. That's a pain. <laughs> that I mean, is it, correct, right? You can do that, yeah. but yeah, that would be such that. a in some offices, you can't use the CBCT at the same time as someone right. else's. So while you're doing that, you can also acquire even a pan. Uh, so it, it's just a trade-off. Like if you're right. starting out, it, I'm, you know, that might be a better choice. Uh, but if you're yeah, fully operational dental practice with a busy schedule, don't mess around with that. Just no. Yeah, so <laughs> it's not worth the money. Okay, so anyway. But hey, there's your workaround. If you're a cheapskate, build one really nice computer, use it to remotely open every single CBCT. Then you're not straining your, your, um, your dedicated computer and your CBCT. And you can probably open four or five of them on that one computer throughout the rest of your ops. But it's okay. a pain in the butt. So um, see, that's why I don't do tech stuff anymore. I know too much <laughs> to mess with it. <laughs> like I can get myself in a, or I know enough to be dangerous. That's what really what it is. So, um, all right. So the next thing I was going to talk to you about is actually the list. I wish I had this vo the, the voice changer thing here. I want to know the list. The <laughs> list. It's deep throat. How did, how did they get away with calling him Deep Throat? I mean, you know, even back then, you would think that maybe that would raise some flags. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> anyway, totally different conversation. And that's why we're labeled as explicit on yeah. iTunes. <laughs> so the, um, <laughs> I'm a horrible person. I'm going to hell. So anyway, um, I was going to say, I know you have a list of um, the softwares that you cringe when you see a dental practice has. 
The blacklist. Um, blacklist. So okay, so love- first of all, what's, what is the best patient management system? We're going to start this off on a positive note. Best yeah. patient management system out there, least problem. It's open dental. It's not even close. Um, it, yeah, it's not close. What is it? Open dental. It's not open close. Open dental. It's all not right. close. Uh, so, yeah, I breathe a sigh of relief when I see open dental because I know the integrations are going to be solid. The right. database is going to – like, Dentrix had this version, G5, that was just broken. Like, uh, just Tell me about it. Well, you know, that's where you migrated from. It was yeah. horrible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I, you can run a fine practice off EagleSoft and Dentrix. It's just yeah. open dental can do all the same stuff. I mean, right. maybe Dentrix and EagleSoft, they spend a bunch more money on their icons. So they have nice little bubbly icons right. everywhere. It's prettier. It really is prettier. Curve is beautiful. Oh, man. How do you feel about Curve? how i feel about most uh cloud-based softwares these days they're just not how do you feel about cloud-based softwares there is that that a is that a i know you can't say certain things can i can i get an answer from you how do you feel about cloud-based softwares a lot of people ask about them on tbod yeah no no i mean i think it so uh, i use all cloud-based softwares and for to run my business and the reason is i got people spread out all over the place geographically and it's the only thing that makes sense. So to have a central server and, and I, you know, Tex in Texas and North Carolina and New York and Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. Massachusetts, does not make sense, right? I'm the perfect candidate for cloud. But right. many of you who are asking like, hey, should I go cloud? The answer is no, right? If you have one practice mm-hmm. and you, you can put a server right next to you, if, if I could do this, I would do this for speed, I would do it. Because it's just unbelievable what you can do. You own your own data. You can remote people into your own server. Uh, it's just the reason to go cloud are the two main reasons to go cloud, I should say. You have multiple practices. All right. So again, resources spread out across, you know, geographic areas. And the second one is you need to have a unified database. So we'll have plenty of, we have plenty of practices that are uh, not cloud-based, but their patients aren't going back and forth. And, you know, for that reason, they can still get the speed, of having a local server and the flexibility, like we right. talked about. Um, but if you need a unified database and you have multiple practices, cloud is made for you right now, but it's really only that, that segment. Okay, that, that, that's a fair, uh, fair thing. So what is the best imaging software to deal with? What is the worst imaging software to deal with? And I still, I've, I've let you off the hook on the worst PMS so far, but, we're going uh, to talk about that. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll stick to imaging. So on the imaging <laughs> side, you know, I am big on having options. So naturally I'm going to gravitate towards things like open dental, right? Where doctors right. like, Hey, I bought this. Does this work? I'm like, yeah, because open dental works with everything. Um, so naturally you'll, you'll hear me talk about Apteryx and their product X-ray vision because okay. pick your sensor. Just, uh, Dexas is the only one that they lock their system down. But Gendex, really? CareStream, XDR, Soda, down the line, you can, you can buy whatever you want. You can throw a ScanX in there. You know, you can do a mixed environment. So um, Apteryx, just like Obedental, it's not the prettiest looking software out there, but it, like, it, it doesn't hamstring you in terms of what your options are when your rep comes knocking on the door trying right. to sell you a sensor. I, I want you to talk a little bit um, about something a lot of dentists – they, they hear in the repeat. I mean, it's like, we're like kids sometimes. I mean, not dentist, everyone, a dentist too. We're like kids sometimes because we'll, we'll hear people say stuff 
enough and we'll, we'll kind of put it into a context and then we repeat, kind of regurgitate what we've heard, but we don't necessarily truly understand it. So I want you to talk about bridge software and why it's important. And I still haven't forgotten about the words PMS. We're going to end with that. So why is bridge software important? What is bridge software? When do you need bridge software? Talk to me. Well, most softwares bridge, um, whether you can actually see that they're doing it or not is, is another topic. But so right. something that's pretty seamless is you'll see Eagle. So if you're an EagleSoft customer, um, their imaging software is like pretty much it's, it looks as uh, that way it's integrated into the system, right? You don't click on an icon or anything like that to open it up. But right. let's say you are a open dental and Dexas or open dental and Vixwin customer. Why are right? you picking on me, man? <laughs> and, easy guess, right? Right. Uh, open dental plus a nice imaging software. I know you. So, uh, You'll pull up the patient in Open Dental. You'll just either, you can integrate it two ways. You integrate it right into Open Dental at the top, mm -hmm. and you can have your Vixwin or Dexas button, or you can use Dexas's bridge. You actually have either option to do that, um, and you can click in. That bridge is directly over into it. Um, but the, the bridging, th this is another reason Open Dental is so popular. They don't make you pay for that, right? So if you are a, you know, Flex, Medento, Yappy, in so, you know, let's say a paperless company, and you're designing your software to integrate into, into Open Dental, you don't have to go and kiss the ring at Shine HQ, at Patterson right. HQ. Um, you know, you'll hear- Or, or, the, or the belt buckle at, at uh, never mind, we'll leave that alone. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you'll, you'll hear directly from these companies, Open Dental is less expensive to develop for because they don't have to cut the right. other company. And so, which means you get to have nice toys, you get more development, right? When you, when you lessen the regulation, you get more development. <laughs> like we're going to go into politics way too easily on this one. So, uh, yeah, we're going to avoid that conversation, but, um, yeah. So <laughs> the problem is, is, okay, let's say I've got Dexas, right? Yep. And, um, man, I love Dexas. I love open dental and, uh, I've got an iCat actually exactly what's going on in my office. And so let's say that ICAT updates in vivo. Well, in vivo, or ICAT actually, goes through Dexas to allow me to launch in vivo to see my CBCT screen, uh, my CBCT scans. And so we're bridging from Dexas to Open Dental and from Dexas to InVivo. Okay. So if InVivo updates its software, Dexas then has to update its software, and then they have to update the bridge. Or let's say Open Dental updates, and Open Dental wasn't a nice guy, and Open Dental was like, I don't know, the worst um, PMS on the planet. What, what, which one was that again? I'm just going to say Dentrix. I'm just going to get it over with. <laughs> Dentrix is the worst, kind of like United Healthcare. They're the United Healthcare of patient management systems. Yeah, there, and the other it's thing out is there. Open Dental, Dentrix, you know, uh, Dexas is looking at a specific number. It's looking at a chart ID, uh, some sort of numeric. So if one of them changes the way they're looking at each other, you have to like remunerate your entire database. Right. <laughs> Which is not fun. I just thought, I just thought of another thing we're going to cover. Keep, keep yeah. going. Okay. So, yeah, it, with one small change, you can affect. Uh, you know, in your case, three softwares. Right. 
And so that's why bridging guys, if you have to install a bridge for a piece of equipment, usually you really don't want to have to install a separate bridge or you want to put it this way. The less moving parts in software is just like less moving parts in a mechanical machine. You have less problems. So right. get something simple. Right. You get a and, Tesla uh, that has 250 moving parts in a, in a normal car is about 10,000. So, right. Yeah. So have you bought your Tesla yet? Yes. <laughs> I'm jealous. Which one did you get? I got the model three. I, I pre-ordered it uh, two and a half years ago and it, it, it arrived about six months ago. So whenever, whenever I became a dentist, um, actually as when I went into dental school, when I got accepted, I told myself one day I'm going to own a Tesla Roadster. Now they don't even make the damn things anymore. They do. Do they? <laughs> the new version is, uh, oh, I haven't seen starting it. at the low, low price of $250,000. Oh, that's it. Oh, <laughs> that's it, man. So hold on. I've got my wallet. <laughs> hey, it's zero to 60, 1.9 seconds. Can't argue with that. Oh, you know, I, I have a, I have a problem with that because the only way they can actually do that speed from what I understand is um, very similar to the Tomahawk that was put up by Viper is they can right. only do it on the machine because they don't have enough road grip unless the tires are preheated and sticky to actually accelerate at that rate. I think um, it's a rolling start too. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes like off the top of the car carrier, you know, just get in there and <laughs> <laughs> downhill. <laughs> oh Lord. Anyway, really, really fast. That, that suffices yeah, to say. Really, really fast. So, spoil yourself. <laughs> right. I don't know. You know, I'm a simple guy. You know, I, you know, I drive an FJ cruiser. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, um, I, I backed into the, into my, uh, my dumpster once because the backup camera was tilted. Was canted. So I'm selling all my dirty secrets here. And uh, I, I scuffed the back of my bumper and I yeah. still have not fixed it because I'm cheap. It, it's not, I don't need it, you know? What, what am I going to do? Run into a dumpster or something? But um, so anyway, don't tell my wife that story. <laughs> she doesn't listen to this podcast anyway. Uh, so um, gosh, you, you'd said something a little while ago and I said, we're going to talk about something. Do you remember what we were talking about at that point? Well, the last thing we were discussing was, well, we were good. We're kind of, we're getting to bridging. Um, and then we were going to talk about like end of life and what's a good budget. For, go ahead. Let's, let's jump on that. I'll see if I remember right. what it was. And then I'll go, ah, oh, you know, okay. I have another question. Thank you to Jeff Hayes and Andy Stein for bringing this up. Um, okay. So how you'd want your, IT companies have known about the Windows end of life, this generation, right? This is Windows 7 and Server 2008. Chris, you know, with your oh, server. I know, I know, I know. I you sent know. you a lot of, I, I just sent you a lot of money, I believe, or something like that. <laughs> I, I sent him the original email in February, and uh, he decided seven months later it was, it was a good time. Uh, but, yeah, that's what you would hope. I know Andy's issue was his company didn't tell him until six months before. Right. Um, I'm not here to judge that company. We decided to do it in February. We'll probably send well, out another. That's the reason why I'm just doing it now because in February I looked at it and I said, okay, that means I can budget a thousand dollars every month. And then I can, I can go ahead and do this whenever, you know, August, September rolls around and I'll be good. And so that's what I did, which is the benefit of having an IT company that's on the ball in the way that you guys think in, in mailing that out early. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, no, absolutely. That, that was our intention. It was, was to be proactive um, 
it, it wasn't, it was just an email disseminating information, but uh, you know, ultimately we can provide a solution to that. So uh, we were happy to. So, and it was Windows 7 and uh, Server 2008 are going end of life and end of, end of life, we touched on this a little bit earlier, means no security updates. And security updates are necessary for us to be HIPAA compliant in the healthcare industry. So uh, that date, again, January 14th of next year, you're going to want to either upgrade, replace any computers uh, that are on those versions. Now, Windows 7, uh, if that computer was relatively new, you know, we're talking about three to four years old, it's a very clean upgrade path to Windows 10. And an upgrade is in, like, run it overnight, it'll be ready by the morning. And, uh, but for servers, they don't do a straight upgrade. So even if your hardware was good, and in Chris, your case, it, you know, your server was way before my time and, and pretty old, right. if it were newer, we could have wiped back up the data, right. wiped the server clean, reloaded you know, server 2016 or 2019, depending on the compatibility, and reloaded open dental and DEXs and, and doing all that. It's a manual process. It's a right. lot of labor just to do that. So some of you might be in one of those two camps. Um, so it's really good to go to your IT company and say, hey, which of these computers can be upgraded versus replaced because the, the pricing is vastly different as right. the, you know, software upgrade versus a full tower replacement you know and then the really good news for everyone out there is when you do upgrade a, a server that was made in the same year that Ruben started his company 2013 um, <laughs> <laughs> you too. I'm, a, I'm actually gonna send it to you guys or have one of your techs uh, slap a quattro in it and use it for my podcast video editing I mean it's got a couple Z what is it like eight eight Xeons in it or something yeah, it, was, oh, it was overbuilt, which is why it's still running. Um, I know, I know. <laughs> I, that's, I insisted on it being overbuilt. Future proof for computers, folks, is about five, six years. You know, you, you don't... If you buy new, you know, if you buy refurbished and you know what you're kind of getting into, it usually has a 30 to 90 day warranty. Uh, and just, buy, it's, it's fine. You can buy refurbished computers. I'm not going to tell you not to do that not to make that decision as a business owner. Just know what you're buying. Expect a five to six year window. Um, just expect if you're spending, let's say, you know, we, we stock computer 749, 779, just for a base level computer we sell, that's got a warranty brand new, will last five to six years. You know, if you spend $300 now, uh, you might be spending another $350. And, and be not only that, but dealing with the issues of that computer going down. Right. And having an operatory down. Those are, I'm trying we'll, to we'll we'll cover we'll cover some specifics. Um, and let's let's make let's make some dentists out there a little bit more knowledgeable about computers in a couple minutes here. Um, but there is something I want to bring up, which was a post uh, on TBOD. Guys, you know you just heard me say I future proof my computers, but if you've listened to our Meet the Experts episode where I was chatting with Ruben, I am Ruben, would you would would you say it's fair to say I'm I'm far more knowledgeable about computers than the average dentist? You are the most knowledgeable dentist I work for. Okay. It's not. Yeah, I'm not so, trying to flatter you. Just you no, are. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, and Ruben doesn't fluff my feathers, guys. But the thing is, is I used to do this, and and so yeah. I um I have the credentials necessary to look at a computer and go. That's what I want to buy. Most of us don't as dentists. So I'd like to actually talk about some specs and, um, and, and maybe we can, um, 
we, we can get some people to a point where they can make good decisions. And when they see something like a $15,000 quote for a single server, they can think to themselves, hmm, maybe I should call Ruben <laughs> or anyone else. Yeah. No, I mean, that's the, the beauty of Facebook is, is crowdsourcing information. Um, right. You know, for, for a company like us, you know, they're – or I should say anybody out there that is like we all run public businesses and people can comment and do and do stuff like that. And we found it to be a very positive experience because we take care of our people. Right. Right. We've always defaulted to taking care of the client and let everything else. out. Right. So I'm going to ask you some specific questions uh, and um, you can needle me if I forget something that is important. Uh, okay, so guys, if you're out there and you want to buy a new computer, let's say you want to go on to Dell and click some buttons yourself, right, and save a couple bucks. Uh, my recommendation is you get an i7. I believe that the i5 is probably going to be underpowered in the next couple of years, true or false. What are, your, what are your thoughts on that? You, you see a lot of dental offices. Where do you see it going in the next two or three years? I, we typically save i7s for CBCT and intraoral right. scanner computers because we, we don't see the usage hit. Right. Um, so our standard recommendation, and again, we tailor everything. If it's a front desk computer, you know, we're not going i7, right? Okay. We, we might tweak the RAM a bit because, you right. know, be at the front desk has open dental, imaging software, insurance processing software, uh, <laughs> credit card. Like she's, she's the one who's got everything open at the Absolutely. same time. So, so RAM in, is in, in, in full, okay, so... RAM guys, um, you, you've got different types. Of, and I'm talking to some of our, our, our older dentists guys, so please don't hate on me for, for explaining some simple stuff. Uh, in a very real way, some of this stuff is like you trying to do a gold foil restoration. You just don't know how, okay? So RAM is your ability, it's your short-term memory, okay? If someone spouts a bunch of information at you and you have to keep it all in your head, that's your RAM. Now, your hard drive uh, is going to be your long-term memory. Those are the things that you need to remember. You kind of stack them away in files in the back of your head. So for any older docs who are looking at computers and you need a smart computer that can do a whole bunch of things at one time and think about a whole bunch of things at one time, you really want a lot of RAM. If you have a bunch of things that you need to remember, heavy things, big things like data files, um, images, things like that, you want a computer that has a really great hard drive. Now, I've seen people recommending, you know, over a terabyte of storage on a local machine. I don't agree with that because I think everything should be stored on your freaking server. And if your IT computer, right. if your IT knows what they're doing, they can reroute even your documents from your desktop to the server and create your own little environment where the server has a little chunk that it thinks is checkout computer number one or checkout computer number two or doctor's office computer, what have you, and then nothing is stored locally. And that is called roaming profiles for those of you that are playing IT bingo. Okay, so so far we've covered the fact that I was wrong and an i5 is usually all you need unless you're looking at an imaging computer. Um, what are you recommending hard drive wise for the locals? I'd, I'd recommend almost everyone get a solid state drive now, maybe even like a 128, something I've small. Done a, I've, so I haven't sold a non-solid state in over four years. But so it, it has been the standard and it, we're talking about a literal 10x speed improvement. Um, right. So well, and, and yeah. Things, things are different now because Ruben, we've talked about this. I'm from the old days when literally computers 
uh, were lined with lead. Uh, the IBM machines were actually lined with lead, so they were heavier because they felt that the American market believed that something felt sturdy, it was worth more money. Do you remember the old XTs and, uh, and, and 8088s? No, you don't, yeah. do you? <laughs> no. I'm that old, people. So, uh, <laughs> I hilarious. think they should put lead in like the mouthwatch camera just to make it feel more substantial. <laughs> right. I've always Absolutely. thought this before. <laughs> so, so anyway, the, the whole point is, is um, relatively recently in the world of computers, and I know when I say recently, I really mean, what, 10 years, um, there used to be a thing called Busby bottleneck that was a big problem. That's not really as much of a problem anymore. Do you guys even consider bus speed anymore? I mean, with, with as fast as the processors are, your wide open bus is, what, over 4,000 or something? I mean, it's, it's insane. Yeah. yeah. No, we don't consider that at all. It's really processing power, RAM, uh, right. and then storage. It, yeah. But that makes you think differently about the way that you're building a computer. Um, I mean, drastically differently. Uh, so um, we used to have to, you, you, you can't really upgrade your RAM if your processor is going to bottleneck. So you don't have those problems anymore. So any computer that's going to be running a bunch of computer, uh, a bunch of um, programs, how much RAM are you recommending? 16, 32, 64 now? For a workstation 16. Uh, okay. Yeah. So let's stock computer, i5, 8 gigs of RAM. 128 solid state hard drive. Okay. So that's, that's your it. front desk. That's your you front desk. You want to pump desk. that up to 16 gigs? That might even be your operatory. Yeah. So the front desk, we might be, you know, that's a busy front desk. And, we, you know, right. we have the ability to remote into these computers ahead of time, do a nice assessment, see how much, you know, pick on Debbie again, see how much Debbie is actually using. And then we can actually build something to that, uh, order it specifically. But yeah, the next level up would be a 16 on the RAM if you need it. I same thing on the processor, the kind of like BMW models. You have the three series, the five series, the seven series. Um, then they have this, the i8 or the nine series that we, we don't even need to worry about. We wouldn't know what to do with that much processing power. Um, then you have graphics cards, right? So computers that come out of the box, I know this is a common question we get, can do two displays out of the box. Mm -hmm. Your laptop that's sitting on your desk can do two displays. Absolutely. And, 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 and you, you have to look at your composite versus your legacy displays too. So like your VGA, you can't really split that effectively, right? But your, your, H, your, um, your display port and your HDMI can be split off into two legacy displays or that's even right. two, even, right? Is, is that correct? Yeah. And you can use USB. Um, USB 3.0 is a really right. nice interface. Uh, Max can do this as well with a lightning cable. You can go USB 3 to HDMI. So sometimes in the, uh, in the operatories, we'll have a 12 o'clock, right? 12 o'clock monitor. Right. We'll have a 6 o'clock TV and a ceiling, or we'll have two TVs or two monitors here. So essentially what I'm saying is we need to drive three distinct displays, not mirroring or anything like that. Right. In those situations, we want HDMI everywhere or display for it to the 12 o'clock. And right. we'll use a USB to HDMI adapter. All right, that is drawing power from the computer. So it's, it's important that it's not like a microform factor, but right. a small power supply, because you will have some issues then when you plug your sensor in and that's drawing power and your camera's drawing power. Uh, so we typically use small well, form factors. The English, English version of that for all of you guys who are not super computer literate is you don't take your Civic to race against your buddy's Porsche because it doesn't have the horsepower. Your power supply is going to actually allot different amounts of power for different pieces of your computer. Um, so anytime that you're asking it to drive another hardware, 
another out external hardware, you need a little bit more juice. So sometimes when the really, really small computers, they have a tiny, tiny, tiny uh, power supply. You really want something a little bit bigger, um, like a 340 is about the minimum I, I, I build with. But what, what, what is your recommendation? Yeah, so like the computer I built at home has a 750 watt power supply. I never want to have to worry about issues. I'd like to um, see the graphics card you got in that beast. It's the new Radeon. It's a, it's a, I'll, I'll show you that. 2080? 2080, yeah. 2070? Uh, nice. Well, that's the NVIDIA card. Uh, what is it? The, I'll have to send you a picture. It's all RGB'd out and everything like that. I finally built my new computer. Um, we'll, we'll, geek, we'll geek out together later. It'll be, it'll be awesome. You have a nerdgasm uh, or whatever they call that. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. So, essentially, the graphics card is something that draws power as well as the RAM and the CPU and the camera. So, having a computer with that and I think the 3D units they're Dell Precisions. I think they come stock with a 300 or 320, but they're kind of tailor-made right. to that. They're ready for that. Um, uh, maybe uh, like a, a microform vector might have a 180-watt power supply, uh, by example. So right. if you don't want to have any sensor issues in camera, because that's all, be, I mean, heck, even a, a CareStream 3600 internal scanner or Medit, that's drawing, still drawing off of that computer. Okay, so real quick, I want to cover another piece of hardware question. ECC versus non-ECC RAM, does it even make a difference anymore? It used to, but it doesn't anymore, does it? If you, okay, so there's ECC. Again, we're, we're used to seeing those in corporate environments now. That they've kind of like, and the price is following that. Right. Um, if you get just performance, non-ECC RAM, you're fine. Yeah. Okay. So, and you'll see this on Dell if you're configuring a server yourself or looking at a quote from your IT company. You'll hopefully see performance non ECC. Otherwise, you're paying for something you really will never tap into. So, folks, ECC RAM is just error correction and error checking. Um, it RAM is so good these days that it's not really a huge problem, but it used to be. Um, yeah. So um, let me see here, some other things that they might not know about. Okay, I saw someone building a, a NAS the other day, and yeah. they, they really, uh, it was actually a good friend of mine, and uh, he really didn't know what he was doing. So I told him, I said, if you're building a NAS and it's, it's not a solid state, you need to be getting reds or blacks from Western Digital. Is that still a pretty sound reds. recommendation? Reds, because they're, yeah. they're, they're hard, they're, the hard drive has different types of bearings in it for one thing, and they're just made to tighter tolerances. Is, right. That's all still correct. So I didn't screw that's him. Right. Purple is for uh, uh, security cameras. Wow, oh, interesting. I didn't even know about the purples. Tell me about the, uh, about the purples. Let's talk about long-term storage. All right, so it's, it's the next uh, level above the reds. So they're, they're all the slower hard drives. They're 5,400 RPMs, right. uh, but the long, we're really going for longevity. Um, and for, for the NAS, the most common ones come in two, like the two-bay. Then they have four and up from there. Make sure you do a RAID, and a RAID is a, another great subject. Uh, all your servers that are actual servers right, have. Let me, let me see if I can help on this one. You ready? Okay. So I, you know, I'm not going to cover RAIDs. <laughs> not going there. All right. And I'm not going to call. I'm not going to cover plus spare. So forgive me. All right. So folks, RAID one, RAID zero. Those are the two most common RAIDs you're going to see on your standard home computers. All right. So let me see if I can mess this up. Ah, one is Stripe, one is mirrored. I believe that zero is Stripe, one is mirrored. Is that correct? RAID That's zero correct. is Stripe, RAID one is mirrored. RAID five, uh, and that gives you, in a, in a mirrored drive, 
that gives you one full parity drive. That means if one of your drives goes dead, the other one can pick up immediately. You can hot swap it out. If you have the right machine, put another one in. It'll do what's called rebuild. It'll copy the first drive to the second drive and truck on. Now, the reason that you would want to run a stripe and mirror is because you also want speed increment increases because right. when you have data, instead of doing this to one drive, it does this to both drives. The problem with that is that there's no true parity bit. There's only a parity drive. And when most things are manufactured, hard drives tend to go out near each other in time if they're operating in the same environment, which makes a RAID 1.0 not appropriate for a dental office. Whereas a RAID 5 or a RAID 6, which has a true parity drive. And where RAID 6 has replaced RAID 5. RAID oh, 5 is now considered legacy. Yes. Yeah. Because the speed, it's the same two drives. It's faster. And it's faster. Yeah. Yeah. So it, RAID 6 was just coming out when I was, when I was building. Um, I Don't laugh at me for being old. So in your RAID environment, when you're looking at a RAID 6 now, um, if nothing has changed, uh, you're looking at storing information bit number one on drives one and three and information bit number two on drives two and three, and information bit number three on drives one and two. No matter what happens, unless you lose two drives at the same time, all of your information is safe. Now, we're going to bring that to another level, RAID 6.0, which also mirrors That's both a lot of, drives. of those drives. So <laughs> the problem when you do that is that you have a functional decrease in the total amount of RAM, a uh, total amount of hard drive storage, rather, that you have. Um, and 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 that's a problem because a lot of times you'll see these these NAS sold and they have RAID 1, RAID 0, RAID 5, RAID 6. And they'll say it's a 40 terabyte, uh, 40 terabyte network that storage, NAS. But it's not truly 40 terabytes of storage. There's actually a functional decrease depending upon the number of parity bits you wish to have. Is that a rel relatively decent synopsis? See, Did you go to sleep? I, I told Chris, he was the smartest guy in the room and he proceeded to show everybody that he was the smartest guy in the room. Um, yes, that is absolutely correct. Uh, maybe I, uh, I can dumb this down for, for my clients. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, I was trying to speak computerese. I wanted to make sure I didn't make yeah. any mistakes. No, no, you, you did a really good job. Just essentially what it comes down to is speed and, and failure tolerance. That is really what we're talking about. All you guys need to worry about. So, um, the, the best combination of both of those things is RAID 6. I think you could have talked me into doing a RAID 10, which is a 0 plus 1, when RAID 5 was the standard. Um, right. You could have talked me into it, but right now RAID 6 is by far. You get, so let's say we did one terabyte drives, we did four of them. That leaves you a – so that means we before we did in a RAID, we have four terabytes of data to play with. If you do a RAID 6, it condenses it into a two-terabyte data set. So it halves it, but again, two of those drives can go down without your practice ever having issues. Um, so that's why we do a lot of the RAID 6 right now for that reason. Now is, if I remember correctly, whenever RAID 6 was first coming out, there was the ability to add a spare drive so that you could add parity bits. And there was a rule, I believe it was every three drives, you had to add two drives to a, a to obtain one extra parity bit or something like that. I, RAID 6, I'm really, I don't, I'm not really knowledgeable about it all. So we, talk to us a little bit about the spares and, and parity bits. Obviously, the more parity bits you have, the safer it is. Right. So if we just do a simple RAID 1, which is a one-to-one -one mirror, and right. let's say you have a, your server has room to have a third drive, you can essentially have 
uh, a superhero in waiting to take over for a drive that fails. Um, some systems can do it automatically, some you have to activate it. Um, uh, with RAID 6, you can do the same thing, right? Uh, so basically, it's not actually adding a parity bid, it's adding a parity drive or a, a potential parity, parity drive. That's right. So you're, you just have something even even more redundancy, right? So we have a two failure tolerance, but then we have drives ready to go in. Again, the larger and larger environment you go into, you're gonna see this more and more often. You're gonna see a server with just hard drives just lined up here. Like Chris's server is a RAID 6. It's got four hard drives ready to go. It's also got four expansion slots. So if we wanted to do something crazy in the future, we have room to add those hot spares as we can we call them, or another data set. We can, we can throw another partition on the, on the server. The only thing I don't have that I wanted is a hot swappable power supply, but I figured I was getting a little bit too too redundant there. So. Yeah. Yeah. Those are nice too. I know. They're nice. Yeah, they're really nice. <laughs> well, we'll nerd out again later. Remind me to tell you about the Mozart TX and also the uh, the Media Center. Okay. All right. All right, guys. So anyway, Ruben and I are going to chat some more. I hope that this has been a um, an educational experience for a lot of you guys. I hope that you're coming away from this knowing a little bit more about computers, a little bit more about backups, a little bit more about network security. And um, I would like to ask Ruben to come back on if you guys do like this. Uh, and I haven't totally buried you in geekdom, uh, which is possible. Go ahead, and, uh, go ahead and put some likes on here, put some comments and put down some things you'd like us to cover um, that perhaps we didn't cover. I would love, for instance, to cover some of the more intricate details of, um, of networking and security, just so that whenever people throw words at you, you don't get buried in crap, that you truly yes. understand what they're talking about. Managed switches, unmanned switches, security cameras. So another area, Chris, I spend a lot of time in, as you know, is office design. We do about 45 practice build-outs a year, and more than that, say no to me. So I'm, I'm designing usually about 130 offices and we do about a third of them. So if anybody has any questions on like how to set up an operatory, I can be very useful there. Sound, um, we do three different sound systems that we offer. Uh, any of these questions, again, the, I'm not saying use me, I'm just saying use the information that, that uh, I'm giving you through this podcast to just make you or let you make better decisions. Um, yeah, I'm an option of many out there. Okay, so guys, real quick recap. Um, if you were going to buy a computer yourself, the minimum specs that, uh, the minimum specs that Ruben recommends for a front desk computer are? i5, and I'll qualify that, eighth or ninth gen hardware, right? Anything other than that is, is not new. Um, eight gigs of RAM. 16 would be the upgrade after that. 128 solid state hard drive because you're saving everything on the server. And if you don't trust uh, that your staff is going to do that, have your IT set up a redirect to the server. And if you don't trust your IT to do that, back up that computer and get it a little bit larger hard drive. Okay. All right. So if you are setting up a computer that is going to be used for 3D, what additions would you make to that base unit? I would upgrade the CPU power because think about when you're, uh, 3D image is a, they call it stitching. They take three scans and they stitch it together. So get CPU, uh, go with the, I, we're talking about Intel here, which is the standard. Go with an i7, go with 16 gigs of RAM. And then on the graphics card sides, the 
the software is, in vivo is a little bit heavier of a software. Uh, usually you need at least, we talked about RAM in the, in the memory sense. There's also RAM on the graphics card, not to confuse you guys here, uh, which is important. And usually two is the minimum and four is recommended. So it, like in the, the computer that uh, Chris just had me build, we went four, which is the NVIDIA P1000. It's, it's, a, it's a workstation class processor. All right, fantastic. And last question, and this is just for Sonny. You had to build your own Bitcoin mining computer. What would your recommendation be? Would you be using a thread tripper to power it? And, to, and <laughs> Sonny, uh, we're trying to get, get together for a Cincinnati Reds game here with, with Zach Allman. Um, those, those are such good guys, man. They really are. Oh, they're good dudes. If you have time to bit this, I'll say this about Bitcoin mining. If you have free electricity, go to town. Like, otherwise, it's just a hobby and it's essentially a one-to-one -one trade. But if you are, if I was going to college right now, let's say, and I had a dorm room with a university who's paying for electricity, my entire dorm room would be Bitcoin miners. Um, you know, it's, it's insane. I'm surprised. We're about, to go, we're about to go full solar at the house. We're, yeah. we're, we're going 100% off grid. And when we do, I'm rewarding myself by yeah. building a coin miner. So we'll, we'll, be, we'll be talking. Okay. Uh, the, the, the 1080s have come down a lot, right? But it's, it's from what I understand, it's hard, to, it's hard to get that price point to return. It's just, man, they're, the, the, the algorithms are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think it's an unforeseen consequence of the way that they designed the crypto coin. But that's a totally different podcast. Hey, well, Bitcoin is here to stay. So it's something to pay attention to for all you uh, business investment nerds out there. All right, folks, you have a fantastic day. Thank you so much for wasting a, a perfectly good hour of your time listening to the sound of my voice droning on. And uh, Ruben, thank you so much for joining us here today. Absolutely. Hope you guys do a better job at not working than Chris and I on Labor Day. <laughs> All right, bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Dear Doc Podcast your source for the business and legal questions associated with your dental practice. Don't forget to subscribe to the Dear Doc Podcast on all major platforms.